all right, he's a Catholic priest. When I when I I mean he's a good guy like he's always been a good guy but he's never like one of those type of guys that you think is priestly like uh, uh, a character that comes to mind is like uh, Robert De Niro's character in Sleepers. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're familiar with it. I am. Holla fucking Lulia. <laughs> <laughs> a reference somebody gets besides Paul. All right. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So you know more like that type where you know he's drinking and. You know, things like that, you know, but like a lot of young people go to him for advice and, and things like that. And there's no boy touching going on. <laughs> he is he is actually celibate. That's one thing he is good on. But like, you know, he obviously I mean, he's not completely pious. Yeah. Is he close with anybody in the church? Uh, Not particularly. He's more of an outcast with the church. A lot of the members, especially the higher up you go, do not uh, – do not really uh, approve of him. Okay, so maybe it's a it's a smaller church. It's not. Uh, no, it's, it's not a, like a. It's a gigantic it? church next to the college. Okay, so um, in the Catholic Church, uh, yeah. priests are appointed to their churches. So if he is not a popular guy and not a particularly good priest, why is he in the big church? Because he's well loved by the. Uh, people of the church. The what do you so, call? So he's a popular priest. He popular is a po- priest. he's a popular priest, especially among the youth. Okay. Like he he brings he brings in a youth so element a, to the it, church. So the the he he's got an active youth program. Membership's growing because that's where all the kids want to be. Yeah, like and, and like his you know rather rather than you know be in the church doing priestly things you know he's out playing basketball with the kids and. You know, some would like some would say that's a priestly thing. The the hoity-toity type Catholic priest would not approve of like actually putting on like basketball shorts. Dominic Argento, obviously, is full blood Italian. His family background, like they've got some mob connections in in Jersey and up in New York, uh, which he does not want to be associated with or made public. Uh, his father Sal uh, was. Uh, was a made man okay. before he died. Uh, so how, that uh, how was that. How did dad die? Uh, a bullet to the brain. Okay. Um, and the uh, his uh, oldest son is actually Dominic. So the title would have passed to him if, but he joined the priesthood. And now you said oldest son, so he's got some siblings. Yes. Okay. Uh, Tell me about the siblings. All right. He's got uh, two brothers and a sister. Um. Uh, the sister's name is uh, Francesca. She's not the oldest. She's actually, uh, I mean, past Dominic. She's actually third in line. Uh, you know, there's his brother Joey, and uh, he's got a younger brother, Nikki. Is Nikki the baby? Yeah. Okay. So, um, was Dominic already in seminary or beyond when the father was killed? Uh, no, he made that decision after the father was killed. Okay. So prior to entering the seminary and before dad was killed, was he in the business? No, that was actually what drove him to uh, the seminary was to get away from the business. He never really agreed with what his family was doing and any jobs he ever did uh, for the mob were like delivery stuff, you know, things like that. He never really, he never really took the jobs he could have easily had. 
because of his namesake. Uh, he was never really interested in, uh, you know, any extortion or anything like that. Okay. And uh, are are Joey, Nick, and uh, Francesca in the in the business? All involved. Yes. Saints of Rainsboro takes place years before the events of Knights of Rainsboro Season 1. Partisan is just an urban legend at this time, new to the city, and a young Catholic priest, Dominic Argento, struggles between the responsibilities to his family and his responsibilities to the cloth. God damn it, Nikki, I told you never to bring this shit in my church, Dominic said, taking his priest collar off so as not to get any blood on it. The man on the floor in front of the altar was screaming, clutching at a bullet wound in his stomach. Nikki stood by his brother, rubbing his hands nervously. I didn't have nowhere else to go, Dom. Besides, I knew you went to med school and all. For six fucking months, Nikki. Not enough to pull a bullet out of a guy. Two of Nikki's goons stood by the door of the church, looking out the windows and holding semi-automatic weapons just low enough not to be seen by passers-by. What the hell are they doing? Dominic asks, pulling a bowl of water from the altar and pouring it over the wound to wash away some of the blood. It didn't help. Is someone going to follow you in here? It's Christmas Eve, Nikki. People will start coming in any minute now. They're, they're just being cautious, Dom. No one knows we're here. Is that holy water? Is that going to help... Dominic rolled his eyes. It's just tap water, dumbass. It's not holy water until I bless it. How can your brother be a priest and you don't know this shit? Jesus, man, give me a break. Hey, Lord's name in vain, man. Cut that shit out. Dominic yanked the tablecloth from the altar, causing all its contents to tumble loudly to the floor, and patted down the wound before balling it up and placing it under the bleeding man to catch the blood before it stained the church carpet. He looked at the wound closely. You got a cell phone? Uh, uh, what? A cell phone. Do you have a cell phone? One with one of those flashlight apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikki pulled his cell phone out, fumbling with it, and turning on the flashlight app. Put the light here, right over the wound. Dominic pointed to the wound, leaning down and inspecting it. The injured man reached up and grabbed Dominic's arm. Just cauterize it, he said weakly. Dominic looked around. I'm going to burn in hell for this. You see that cross right there? Nikki ran over and picked it up. It's heavy. It's silver. You need to hold it over the candle's flame until it gets really hot. Wrap your shirt around your hands or something. Dom, it's, it's a fucking cross, man. Nikki looked at the cross apologetically. Do you have any better ideas? Dom kept the pressure on the wound, blood leaking between his fingers like water through the logs of a loosely packed dam. Nikki genuflected, then held the silver cross in an open candle flame, waiting impatiently while it heated. Fucking kings, man! What? Dominic asked. 
The Kings, man. They were robbing that laundromat on 60th. You know the one. And luckily, we got there before they could get away with any money. Fucking punks. Trying to muscle in on our money. Yeah, luckily. Dom responded, pushing lightly on the wound and trying to drown the screams out. I don't know how they found out that we were running money through that place, but the kid who shot Doyle, man, he got away. I'm going to find that little fuck and shoot him in his fucking face. I think it's hot enough now, Nikki. Oh, oh, yeah. Nikki brought the heated cross over to Dominic. Okay, I'm going to let go and I just need you to press it to the wound. Oh, okay. Nikki? Yeah? He's going to scream, but don't stop until I tell you to. Shit, shit, okay. Dominic let go of the wound and held Doyle down as Nikki pressed the heated cross to the wound. Doyle's skin sizzled as the cross touched it bubbling around it as if he were a demon touched by God. He screamed and fought to get up, but Dominic held him. Okay, that's enough. Nicky let the cross fall to the ground and fell to his knees beside Doyle, who started to cry. Dominic looked at the wound. It had been successfully cauterized and was no longer bleeding, but it looked burned and mangled, a Christmas Eve scar that would be there from now on. Above them, the church bell rang loudly. Dominic jumped to his feet. It's 11 o'clock. People start showing up any second now. Get him out of here. Out the back door. Quick. Uh, thanks, Dom. Nikki said, signaling for his goons to come help him get Doyle. I owe you one. Just get the hell out of here. See you tomorrow for dinner at Mass? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. Go. As they carried Doyle out of the back of the church, Dominic noticed the bloody tablecloth on the floor and the mess of items strewn about. The cross, the bowl, candlesticks... He started to pick everything up, getting a fresh tablecloth on the altar, just as the first midnight mass attendees started to enter the church. An older couple approached him. Realizing he still had blood on his hands, he held them behind his back and bowed respectfully with a smile. Uh, father? The older woman said. Well, where's your collar? Startled, he picked it up from the nearby pew and tucked it into his shirt. Excuse me a moment, he offered before going to the church lavatory and cleaning the blood from his hands before preaching to a packed Christmas Eve crowd. Despite being the head of the largest organized crime family in eastern New Jersey state, Ma Argento always, always had time to cook Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. She made it a point of keeping the conversation away from business and didn't allow any of the illegal activities of the other 363 days of the year to affect time with her children and grandchildren. Dominic enjoyed these family meals more than he cared to admit. They may have been criminals and murderers, but they were family. Dominic felt that no one was beyond redemption, and it was times like this that gave him hope that redemption would come for them sooner than a bullet to the head like it did for his father. And oddly enough, his family became known to the locals as the Saints of Rainsboro, 
because they were so well-liked. His sister Francesca stood next to his mother in the kitchen drinking a glass of red, and they were laughing, talking about television instead of the business. It never felt forced on the holidays, never felt like the elephant in the room. It was something that didn't exist for the four or five hours it took them to cook Ma's famous Christmas lasagna, eat it, and open some gifts. Nicky sat on the counter and looked at the glass of wine in his hand as if it were a foreign object, lifting his pinky a little too obviously as he brought it to his lips and took a sip. He cringed. What is this shit? It's Pinot, dumbass. Get some class, Francesca said, laughing. Hey, their mom yelled. Don't talk to your brother that way. He's the baby. He's 23, ma. Quit calling him the baby. Yeah, she can call me her baby if she wants to. Ain't that right, ma? You're damn right. Now go wash up for dinner. I don't know if I can do this wine, though. Dom, come with me to the market and let's get some beer. Nikki, it's Christmas. Market ain't open. It ain't 85, Dom. Everything's open on Christmas. He hopped off the counter and smacked Dominic on the shoulder. Move your ass. We gotta be back in time for dinner. Hurry up. Dinner will be ready soon, their mother called out. And pick up a bottle of Manischewitz for your aunt. You know she likes that crap. All right, all right. We're just going to go down the street. We'll be back. The drive to the market had been too quiet, Dominic thought, considering Nicky usually couldn't keep his mouth shut for more than 30 seconds. But as he grabbed a 12-pack of Natty Bow off the shelf, he exhaled deeply, almost as if he had been holding his breath the entire time, waiting for the right words. I want to thank you for doing me a solid day yesterday, Dom. Nicky, man. No, no, really. I, I I know you don't like this shit. I know you gotta got out of this and, and you know, the rest of us, Francesca, Joey, me. I think I don't I don't know, man. I think after dad died and you left, Ma just didn't want to let the rest of us go, you know? But you're a good man, Dom. I love you. Don't go all queer on me, Nikki. Why you gotta ruin the moment, man? It's brotherly love. This ain't Philly. Dom said, putting his arm around his younger brother's shoulders and kissing him on the cheek. I love you too, man. Nikki's cell phone rang. It's probably Ma reminding me about the Manischewitz. You want to grab it and meet me at the counter? Sure, man. As Dominic came back to the counter and they checked out, Nikki clammed up again. As they climbed in the car, though, he paused and stared off into the whiteness outside. Nikki, man, you okay? Nikki was silent for a moment before answering. Hey, Dom, you remember, you remember Katie? Your ex, Katie? Yeah, you know, I used to, I used to have to always work on Christmas before Ma started doing the dinner thing. And Katie, uh, she used to call me every Christmas, man. Her ex had their kids on Christmas. She used to call me crying every Christmas because she was sitting there alone. I promised her she wouldn't have to spend Christmases alone anymore, you know? And then, man, it didn't work out. I had to break a promise. She's probably sitting home right, 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 probably sitting home right now. Nikki, man, Katie was years ago. You've got Linda now. You can't worry about that stuff anymore. Nikki started the car and they left the parking lot. I know, man. It's not what I'm trying to say. I guess, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to say, you know, sometimes you make promises and you mean to keep them. And when you make them, you know, but then shit happens and you can't. And you got Katie sitting alone on Christmas. Dominic didn't say anything, just nodded. Oddly enough, he understood. They sat in silence for a while before he realized that they weren't going the right way home. Where are we going? Well, wait a second here. I gotta, I gotta go pick something up. 
Nicky said, slowing the car to stop along a curb and unbuckling his seatbelt. He left the car running. What? Where the hell are we? Nicky turned on the radio and turned up the volume. Hey, just give me a sec, okay? I'll be back in a minute. He closed the car door behind him as he walked up to two guys wearing hoodies sitting on the steps in front of a brownstone. With the snow falling as heavy as it did, it was hard to make out who they were, but Nicky seemed pretty familiar with them. They stood up and one of them pointed at the house they were standing in front of. They walked up to the front door and knocked on it. As the front door opened, one of the men standing next to Nicky shoved it open and pulled out a piece, and Nicky and the other guy walked in behind him and closed the door. Shit! Dominic turned off the radio. He rolled down the window slightly. Snow fell through the window onto his coat and melted. He could hear the sounds of screaming and yelling over the cold winter silence that filled the street. He tensed up in his seat. What the hell had Nicky dragged him into? The screaming stopped and a gunshot rang out, then another, then many. Dominic instinctively ducked down his seat as the bay window in front of the house shattered, glass disappearing into the inches of snow below. He tried to see what was going on, but each curtain was drawn. The front door of the house opened and Dominic could hear a woman scream. Run! A small child, no older than six or seven, stumbled out of the front door, tripping at the top of the steps and tumbling down into the snow. He didn't get back up. Dominic looked around, the gunfire continued, and the child looked to not be moving. He opened the door and climbed out of the car, crouching as he made his way to what he could now see was a young boy. The young boy clutched at his stomach and blood poured through his fingers, dripping down and creating small red ornaments in the snow. Let me see, Dominic said. Let me see. The young boy was delirious. He had lost a good amount of blood already. Santa? He asked, reaching up and putting his bloody hand on Dominic's cheek. Dominic looked at the wound. The gunshot hadn't so much hit the boy as passed through him, clearly entering him in the front and exiting through his side. Blood poured out of both wounds. Dominic remembered the church, the man he'd helped there. Wait, just wait here, okay? I'll be right back. Don't leave me, Santa. The boy strained, too weak to hold up his hand as it fell into the snow. Gunfire continued inside the brownstone as Dominic reached into the car and popped in the cigarette lighter. For once, he was thankful Nicky was one of the few people he knew that still had one of those in his car. He looked back at the boy lying in the snow. He could see the boy's breathing was labored, slowing down, and the condensation that escaped his mouth and the cool night air became less and less frequent. The cigarette lighter popped and he grabbed it, running as fast as he could back to the boy so it would keep its heat and without warning pressing it into the wound on the boy's side. The boy screamed in terror as his skin sizzled, flailing his arms and knocking the lighter from Dominic's hand. Dominic looked at the wound. It had been fully cauterized, but the entry wound was still bleeding profusely. He fumbled around in the snow, trying to find the lighter. The boy screamed in pain and Dominic rushed back, putting pressure on the wound as blood warmed his hands from the cool night air. Please, God, please help this boy. He prayed, tears streaming down his face, cold on his cheeks. The street went silent as the gunfire stopped. He could hear noises from inside, calmer voices. Out from the bay window, a man emerged, not quite walking, not quite flying, but floating on the air as the curtains parted around him. He wore white, a long flowing cape billowing behind him in the cool breeze. His hair didn't move in the wind as he turned mid-air to look at Dominic and the bleeding child. He descended toward them, never touching the ground even as he knelt down. 
He didn't look Dominic in the eyes. Let me see him, he asked, his voice deep, commanding, but calm. Dominic removed his hands from the wound and looked at them as blood streamed down his sleeves onto his arms. The man's eyes glowed red and bright and Dominic watched as the boy's wound cauterized, the flying man holding his hand to the child's shoulder, calming him. He looked at Dominic. Who, who are you? Dominic asked. The flying man didn't respond. He smiled and nodded, turning to leave. Dominic noticed a large pea that adorned the back of the man's cape right before he ascended into the snow-filled sky above and disappeared. Dominic looked at the boy in the snow. His breathing had steadied. Nikki stumbled out of the front door, battered and bruised. Did, did you see that? The sound of sirens filled the air as ambulance neared the scene of the violence. We gotta go, man. The cops will be here any minute. Nikki pulled Dominic to his feet and pulled him toward the car. Dominic looked at the young boy lying in the snow, then up to the sky before he got into the car. As he shut the door, Nikki put the car into gear and pulled out from the curb, swerving wildly in the snow-filled streets before riding the car and turning out to the end of the road, the ambulance turning in behind them. What were we doing here? Dominic asked. I got a call. The Kings, man. The ones who shot Doyle? That's where they stay. And that, that guy that just came in and stopped everything, he... he... my gun just... melted. He trailed off. Dominic looked out the open window at the sky, the snow falling into the window onto his face. As they drove by his church, the bells rung, a call to recite the Lord's Prayer. He closed his eyes and silently listened to their song. Saints of Rainsboro is an Ideology of Madness production. For more adventures in this setting, please visit ideologyofmadness.com or rainsboro.com. Happy holidays from your friends at Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs>